Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Empires of the Future uh, with me, Denton, and Mr. Jackson sitting across from me. It's good to have you guys back with us today. Uh, it's been a been an exciting day. We've gotten to spend some time together this morning. We are back at it with our uh, running. I, I'm so glad. You know, me and Jackson, uh, we how many years now have we been running together? Probably something like seven. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Like it's been like seven years we've been running together, but there's always now there has been kind of this season every year uh, during the school year where it's like, well, uh, you know, we've got kids now, and you know, my wife's a teacher, and like it just gets really hard to get there, and so I'm not able to run with you guys much throughout the semester. Well, guess what? School's out for summer, That's and right. I'm I'm able to to join you guys and run now. So. Uh, got to run today and then sit and enjoy our coffee afterwards because we didn't have somewhere to be right away. And so it was really nice. I enjoyed that this Absolutely. morning. Absolutely. It was yeah. a good time. And this is prime time of the year right mm-hmm. now. It was, what was it, uh, 63, I think, when we started running this morning. Yeah, and so gorgeous. a little cool, which is a little strange given that it's summertime and these days it's been like 84 mm-hmm. <laughs> is where it's reaching here in the end of May um, in Evansville. Uh, so we were a little cool, but then of course you warm up as you run and yep. it was great. And then we cool back down as we sit. There you go. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, and, and it is definitely not 63 here in this upper room in the tea house where we now right. sit. Uh, so I look forward to tomorrow morning running again and hopefully be 63 <laughs> again. But, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to be here and excited to talk a little bit more about, uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, um, we've covered a lot of ground in the book right. and we've covered a lot of things that are, um, very practical. We've covered a lot of things that are kind of philosophical. How would you classify the sections that we're about to get into today, Jackson? Would you classify them more as practical or more as philosophical? Not that those two are mutually exclusive, right. uh, but what would you say about that? Um, I would call it practical theology. It is theology that literally has an effect on your daily life. Um, and theology does have an effect on your daily life, but it's, it's one that if you're paying attention, you'll notice how this theology has an effect on your daily life. Things in terms of how do you mature as a believer? How do you gain spiritual life? What does it feel like to gain spiritual vitality? Um, how has God made that possible and how can you be more open to that? Uh, all the way down to stuff that if we can manage to get there is pretty abstract and, um, only check it out if you, (laughs) if it bothers you. Mm -hmm. A lot of things bothered C.S. Lewis is I think one of the stories we're getting to right here at the end so that he'll answer questions that honestly I go, A, that's not a problem for me. B, I don't know if that ever would have been a problem for me because C, wow, I think about a lot of stuff and I'm certainly an overthinker, but I don't know if anybody I've ever met is an overthinker like C.S. Lewis and even the people that he seems to have interacted with on these issues. Yeah, I think so. And um, I, I wonder if it's a product of our time, too, that uh-huh. he'll interact with with a, a conversation or with like things that, as he says, people often say. Mm-hmm. And then he says something that's like, I've never heard anyone say that uh, it, it, with regards to. So, for example, um, just to kind of go ahead and get right into it, one, one of the sections that we're, we're going to be covering today uh, is a section uh, titled Time Beyond Time. And um, I don't know if you want to start there or not, if that's good with you. Um, time and Beyond Time is one of those chapters where he says, if this helps you, great. If not, let it go. Yeah. And so to everyone who's listening right now, we can say, 
if this helps you, great. If this doesn't help you, fast forward three to five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things he says in it, um, he, he kind of early on, he starts with a, an issue or, or something. And, and he says um, that some people will, will say, uh, he says, a, a man put it to me by saying, I can believe in God all right. But what I cannot swallow is the idea of him attending to several hundred million human beings who are all addressing him at the same moment. And he says, and I have found that quite a lot of people feel this. Now, presumably, he's talking about professed Christians. Um, and so, like, what he says that, and I don't know about you, Jackson, but I don't know that I've ever heard anyone raise that objection or raise that question. Um and I, I bring that up just to say, I think a part of it is a product of our time. Like we sort of do live in a culture and a state today. where like thinking about hard things or, or, you know, even meditating on all the implications of, of the, the nature of God and, and what it means to pray and all these kinds of things. Even as Christians, yeah. we don't think on these things. We don't meditate on these things very often. And so one of the things that I've found the book to be helpful to do also is to sort of drive me to that, that even if I come to as you do in the book, I have in the book, come to a few chapters and I'm like, I found this chapter to be less helpful, less fruitful, you know, whatever. But even still in those chapters, like if it's forcing me into thinking about meditating about or contemplating aspects of Christianity and of, and of God and who he is that I might not have otherwise. Yeah. And I think that's, that's always to at least an extent, a fruitful endeavor. Yeah. It's at least, it's at least as beneficial. And I would say more beneficial than like watching the latest mini series that comes out on Disney plus or, yeah. or YouTube videos or, or whatever. And so, um, it's sort of is a, a, a reminder of the fact that there used to be a time when people would just think about these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it's the spirit of the age sort of issue too. Um, that in a, in a country like Britain in a time like the forties, People might have, for whatever reason, raised that objection. In our day, the objections, I think, are more typically just basic moral objections. Um, and so this issue of time, uh, it, honestly, it's I just kind of don't fault anybody if, if that kind of bothers you because we are small and we're just like looking at things going like, I don't, I don't understand how that's even possible. Is, and, and so... Some people just look at certain Christian ideas and they go, well, I think that's just nonsense, illogical. Well, if your mind tells you it's illogical, then you're sort of captive to that. Like you, you know, and, and it's, it is beneficial to you to run into anybody. You can say, oh, A, that word doesn't mean that, or B, there's a lot of ways to think about that other than the way it kind of just fits into your mind. And so, I mean, what does C.S. Lewis say? He says, well, look, uh, God's outside of time. That's been the standard Christian belief for a long time, as if any of us knows exactly how that works. Um, but we can grasp some ideas about that, yeah. even based upon, I mean, most of us by this point have heard that time works differently as you move through space, <laughs> which is like, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, really. It has something to do with as you approach the speed of life, uh, as you approach the speed of light, uh, time 
slows down? Is that is that what they say? I don't get it. You're asking the wrong guy, James. Right, yeah. I don't understand that. I, you know, I, the only sort of understanding I have of that is from that movie Interstellar. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, because supposedly that is the most, although we don't really know, the most accurate portrayal of some of these sort of uh, concepts related to f- astrophysics and worm, or not wormholes, black holes and things yeah, like that. Yeah. I watched that movie and I was like, this is so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that movie was so silly, but we don't have to get into that. So, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, then if we found out that time really, really is malleable, well then, God, yeah, cannot be, be sitting out there, uh, you know, on Jupiter or something, just adapting to time the way we do yeah watching that's, us like a tv right that's not the way it works but meanwhile okay how does it work well the christian answer has typically been according to what we see in the scriptures god is operating outside of our timeline <laughs> um and that's one way of conceiving of how does god listen to all these prayers well god's not that's not. It's not like he's receiving fifty phone calls all at once, and that there's fifty uh, lighting up uh, numbers on his switchboard that he's going one at a time, people, <laughs> right? Um, and so, great. That's a, that's a helpful way to kind of deal with that issue, and um, it hadn't bothered me. But when people raise it, I can't. I have the kind of mind that when people raise objections, then they do bother me. If yeah. I, if it doesn't, if it also seems illogical to me, and yeah. so I'm happy to hear it. You know. Yeah, yeah. We we think about our and this question that he addresses that that this guy brought to him one time is treating our prayers um, when we come to the Lord to make petitions or or to pray or whatever it is that we yeah. that we bring before Him in prayer as though he is like having to bounce back and forth between mine and yours and, and so-and-so's or that he has to handle them one at a time when they come in mm-hmm. kind of like the, the Bruce almighty thing where he's all the prayer requests are coming to him via email. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. He, he's like answering emails for so, so long. He thinks he's got them all done. There's like millions more. You could just never catch up. Right. Yeah. So he finally just says yes to all, you know, um, and you know, the end result, there's people like everyone won the lottery and they ended up winning like 30 cents cause they had to split it with, with everyone, uh, all this kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's his point is to say like, you're, you're simply misunderstanding God. You're, you're taking a human concept of, of time and time in relation to how we live and, yep. and our existence and trying to apply it to God. But you can't do that. Yep. Uh, God exists um, in a different relation to time than what we do. Yeah. And, and that relation is best described as outside of time. Right. He does act within time. He does act um, in accordance with our understanding of time right. so that we can rightly say things like, um, like the Lord saved me when I was 15 years old sure. or whatever the case might be, um, even though we're speaking from a human perspective. Sure. Um, he does operate within time, uh, but he himself is outside of time. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so like, I think so. I could say two things that would tie this up to some degree, and then we'll yeah. see if you have anything before we move on. Um, two just really powerful and one, I mean, incredibly short quote from that chapter of one is quote, God has no history. He's too real End quote, which is like, Oh, <laughs> I mean, depending on if, you know, that's, that, I think that's a really powerful way. But then the second one is a little, uh, bit more in depth but a little more mysterious and kind of um, 
lower. Quote, God is a drama, a continual burst of life, a dance, a love, a symphony. He's none of these things, but he's all of these things. And in our lives, we're asked to be this as well, he, uh, to be a centerpiece for love. That's what we're being asked to get caught up in. And um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he... Um, there were certain things that he said in there that I'm like, that's almost like too fanciful for me. I don't necessarily understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I think that happened a few times in these chapters and that is one place where it's kind of like, okay, God is a drama, continual burst of light, a dance, a love, a symphony. It's kind of like, um, yeah, I don't know, whatever you say, I guess. Um, but it is what it is. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I'm content to wrap that up there. <laughs> I am too. This is clearly one of those areas in which, like you said, I was always content to say, well, God is um, is beyond time. God is eternal yeah. in that sense. And, and that is, is wrapped up within that statement that God is eternal. And I've been content to leave it with that. C.S. Lewis clearly was not. He was... Uh, found it necessary to, to dive deeper, to deal with this a little further. And for that, I say, man, praise God for you. And for that, um, I could have skipped that chapter, though, and I think that would have been fine. But that's then let's leave it. That's fine. Let's leave it. All right. What's next, Jackson? So the next chapter is one of my favorites. Uh, it's called Good Infection. And this is about this very, very curious phenomenon and experience of what would it be like to be brought back to life spiritually? Uh, it is about, in terms of theology, it's about how is it? What is it? What is it like when you have said yes to Christ, and then you daily sort of try to walk with Him? How is that working as you engage with the Holy Spirit, as you engage with God's Word? Uh, all of us who have said yes to Christ at any point in our life remember or are living in that point where day by day, sometimes we say yes more to Christ day by day, and sometimes we say yes less to Christ. Mm-hmm. And let's just say it like it is. Sometimes we say uh, no to Christ, and and we sin, and then we hide, and, and this old man, new man situation that the New Testament spends a lot of time talking about. Um, so he, he says this in, in this chapter that I think is really helpful. Uh, he says, quote, it is, is it clear... Um, I'm sorry, uh, quote, Christians mean by saying God is love, that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else, end quote, which I, that's a really helpful way to, I think, deal with a question that all of us should have. Most people think they know what the Bible means when it says God is love. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful that we often think we just, oh, sure, God is love. That means he's nice. Uh, no, uh, no. It means way more than that. To th- praise God, it means way more than that. Yeah, but we're often comfortable with believing it is. God is kind. Yeah, He gave Jesus, and He's just kind. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more than that. Uh, and you know what? One of the things He says, actually, right before that quote you read, um, He says, uh, "What these what some people often mean when they say that God is love uh, is something quite different. Different. They really mean love is God." Yes. And, and I was like, oh, that, that's a good one. That's a good uh-huh. point that you make. Because when do you oftentimes hear this this phrase, God is love, thrown around? Rarely is it actually in its correct theological concept. Um, 
or, or uh, context, excuse me, usually it is in the case of someone trying to um, convince you of a loving way that you ought to be or a loving act that you ought to yeah. engage in or, or, you know, something like that. There, It's usually speaking more to implore you to a specific moral action. Um, and not that oftentimes that's that's even wrong or bad, but it is taking this idea that God is love and ripping it out of its context and actually what is really being it's being used for is to state that love is God as though yeah. love is the supreme mm-hmm. um, thing or that uh, that to love is is some is always some sort of holy or spiritual right. thing you are basically right. engaging with God when you express love towards one another yeah. and that's an, a, a gross misrepresentation of what exactly is meant by the term God is love. Uh, and I think the, the word that you, or the, the quote that you kind of gave from C.S. Lewis is a helpful clarification on what exactly we're talking about here. Yep. Talking more than about just, hey, you ought to love one another. Um, as That's true. Right. I'm, not, I'm not trying to act like that's false, but uh, but don't use a, a statement out of context just to, to kind of, um, I don't know, uh, try and make your case make your for point. how yes. you ought to act towards one another. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a, just a helpful way to think about that. Right. And this reminds me of a really, really helpful, uh, a different book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves, which is about the fact that there were four common Greek words that were used that we translate, uh, not to our benefit, all as love. <laughs> uh, one being agape love, self-sacrificial love, which is the word used here. God is sacrificial love, a love like what a father would have for a son or a mother for a daughter the kind of love that gives uh and then there there is in the four loves there is eros which is romantic love and then there is philia which is the love of, of brotherly love friendship you see that in philadelphia and then the final is storge which is affection mm-hmm. and these when i first heard this i was like that's so helpful mm-hmm. in a culture where we talk so much about love those four kinds of love, I've seen them, I've experienced them. Each one has its own flavor. I'm so surprised. I mean, in, in the English language where someone like Shakespeare is a respected person and we, we have all these various ways to describe things. Think of how much technical jargon we use every day. But meanwhile, this term that is so unbelievably important, we're not interested enough to differentiate. Mm-hmm. And, and meanwhile, the Greeks were and we should be uh and so that's helpful and that even is such a helpful start to say god is love god is the sacrificial kind of love and that is the highest love that is the love that makes so much sense when the bible says great love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends that that helps helps us to make sense of the fact that the bible says this is how we know what love is. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. To all of us who think we know what love is, mm-hmm. this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Let yeah. that be a guiding light for all of your life. When you are 12 and somebody says to you, I love you, though your heart will be bowled over by that. You know, if you're a young man at 12 and some young lady says to you, I love you, look, that'll have its time, but no, your North star is the fact that God is love and God is self-sacrificial love. And frankly, this is what's amazing about this. You can tell if people love you 
there is evidence if people love you. If they will sacrifice for you, they love you. Mm-hmm. If they won't, they don't. Yeah. It takes it completely out of the weird fuzzy ballpark that we operate in all the time. Love is action. Yeah. It's game changing for your entire life to know this. Right. It it it's, makes you harder to be manipulated. If you had a horrible home life and you've been looking for somebody to love you, well, you need to know that. And guess what? There is somebody who loves you. And that's where you have to start. Mm, that's exactly right. Yeah, and so the the what he's calling the good infection uh, is this process that, that God has, has entered into and, and that he's done so in his plan of redemption. And that is to, to kind of, and as we have seen it already begun and spreading— uh, we we could we could call it essentially the spread of Christianity among human beings, um, but I think he kind of puts a, a, a finer point to it than that to say this love that is that is present among the Godhead because he does talk about it in that sense. You know, he says that that God is love, but that that attribute of God only makes sense if you understand that that within the Godhead there is right. more than one person because love necessitates. Uh, more than one person. So, so within the Godhead, right, uh, which is what that term "God" is referring to, and what we know comes from First John, God is love. Um, there is a love. There is a relational aspect uh, of love included between the two, and yeah. and it is it is that love that not only brings us in, but that uh, that to which we are brought into this relationship um, with the Father. This love and and how it spreads, and he kind of. It's introducing the concept of the Holy Spirit into his book at this point. It's been present. He's he's talked about the Holy Spirit here and there, but I think these chapters he really begins to say, okay, what role does the Holy Spirit play in all right. these things? And he begins to bring him in, talking about uh, the role that he plays here um, in the the spread of this good infection uh, of from one human being to another, uh, and the process that. That is sort of taking place, and I love the way he he talks about the, how we sometimes think of of God in a in a wrong way, and God we somehow sometimes think of, think of God as too static. He says this. Um, he says, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life. Almost a kind of a drama. So this kind of cuts back to what you had, had already said about the previous chapter. Um, when you said that in the pre- previous chapter, I was like, yeah, I think he says something about that in, in this chapter too. Uh, he says, uh, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, and I'll be honest with you, when he was starting to say these things, I was like, oh, what are you getting at here, C.S.? He says, uh, the union between the Father and the Son is such a live, concrete thing that this union itself is also a person. So he is sort of making a, I think, a, a claim, a bold statement, if you will, about the role that the, Holy, that the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the Godhead, that this love, this dynamic activity between the Father and the Son is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's who the Holy Spirit is, uh, and it is by the Holy Spirit that this is now spread to human beings, and all of that by the fact that Christ began the spread. Right. And he began the spread when he came down to earth, when he became a human being, yeah. uh, when he when he accomplished what was necessary. Um, and and from there, the Holy Spirit then began to apply the work of redemption and spread it 
to, as we know, each and every one of uh, of us as believers, and we see the spread continue on throughout yeah. uh, the world and throughout history. I, I just I made a big bold what, statement about <laughs> about what he's saying. Yeah. I didn't really ask you a question, but right, and I I know what he's stepping into. Having uh, we're nearly done with this big long history study, this two year history study. I've been uh, working through with. Uh, five or six other guys and this is an actually a really big discussion point from early church history all the way through uh this is the dividing point theologically between eastern orthodox and roman catholic which happens in uh 1056 if i remember right that uh eastern orthodox churches still to this day uh hold that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Not that any ever didn't exist of the three persons, um, but that the Father is primary in an eternal sense. And this is deep stuff. If you want to know more about this, I'm just going to say <laughs> to you, read the book, because this is deep stuff. Um, but then the Catholic Church held to the view that uh, each of these are distinct persons and disagree with the proceeding element. Uh, and that's a division that happened in the church that C.S. Lewis is stepping into here just to say the relationship among the members of the Trinity is very interesting. Mm -hmm. We are told things about it. And you can't, you can't read the Gospels and not go, there is some sort of hierarchy or some word like that between Jesus and the Father. Jesus says things like, I only do what I see my Father do. Mm -hmm. I only do that. I only do what I see my father doing. And, and okay, then that indicates something that's going on there. And um, we step into that and we go, okay, but why do we have to talk about this? Well, we come into, we join into this dance. We join into this relationship between a perfect, complete, almighty God who exists in a trinity, which is social within, he is social within himself. And then we come to be a part of that. And all of that life is then infused into us, renewing us to new life. Mm -hmm. And since we're made in his image, one, okay, if God is love, we are made in the image of a loving God. Have you ever wondered why we're so obsessed? Whatever form of love you want to talk about, we are intensely interested in it. Yes, we take certain ones for granted, depending on the age. Mm -hmm. In our age, we might find it normal to be obsessed with romantic love. I think in our age, we should find it strange that Americans are so, so weird about male friendship, for instance. In the Middle East, it's very normal to see men who are heterosexual men just walk around with their arms around each other mm -hmm. to express affection in that way. Whereas uh, rugged Western individualism has made it a little more standoffish as far as men and affection. And then under the Lordship of Christ, what I'm saying is every Christian should say, if, if you're squeamish about Jesus uh, enjoying it when John gave him an extended hug and just put his hand, or I'm sorry, his head at his chest and that there was just such intimacy between them, if you're squeamish about that, Christian, I would ask you to ask God to make, uh, to make himself the Lord of how you show affection mm -hmm. yeah. because um, there's a lot in there. I, 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 I want to insert... There'd be various opinions if we could talk about to friends of ours who are pastors about uh, greet one another with a holy kiss and why that that is that is a call that's in the scriptures. That is intimacy. Now, no matter how you slice it, 
And we are just the kind of people who often are standoffish. Yeah. That's not to our benefit. That's not what in, we're called to in the scriptures, in the church. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot here. And again, this is practical theology. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It is really unfortunate. I, I think this is at least worth saying. Um, I'm with you. Like uh, me and my my fellow elders at my church and, and, and certain other men at the church, um, when we see each other, we greet each other with a hug. You know, yeah. We haven't gone as far as the kiss yet, but, you know. Uh, we, we greet each other with a hug. It's not necessarily uh, a normal thing, um, but we, I, I would say, though, the unfortunate thing, I think, is living in a culture today where, uh, where things like homosexuality are the way they are. And I'm not saying that homosexuality wasn't a thing in, 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 in these other cultures or whatever, but yeah. I think in a culture where homosexuality is, is largely condemned, like, like in a Middle Eastern culture— um, it feels different to express a sort of just male intimacy. Like, uh, even I've heard like holding hands. I've never spent a bunch of time in the Middle East, but even they'll even like hold hands with yeah, yeah absolutely with one another. And yep. it's not it's not a weird thing. It's not a homosexual thing. It's it's not sexual at all. It's just intimacy and friendship. It's, it's and, affection. I think about it the way yeah. my son wants to hold my hand. He's in first grade, probably yeah. be in second grade next year. We walk in. And sometimes I'll let his hand go, and he just grabs my hand, and he wants to hold my hand all the way to his locker. Mm-hmm. And for now, I'm telling you, I'm going to keep that. I'll let That's him do right. it. That's um, right. And so it's – I mean, think about how strange we are, really. Yeah. That, that okay, at, at what point, Mr. Western individualist, do you say to your son, we don't hold hands anymore? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Because uh, I, I, I'm just saying this. You need to ask Jesus about that and not just let some sort of cultural convention determine that for you. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm 100% right there with you. Uh, but by necessity, we do also live in a culture where, as Christians, we have to talk about things like homosexuality sure, and how sure. this is wrong and, and certainly how things are perceived. Um, and and we have to be vigilant against that. Yep. Uh, and unfortunately, what that means is it has become much more difficult for for men to, um, to express intimacy while also avoiding um, any sort of I don't know, endorsement, but also making people uncomfortable because of the culture that we live in, if that makes sense. Sure. I, and I hate that. I hate that, but it is just the fact. It's the same reason why um, I'm never going to like just take a rainbow and slap it on my car. Right. Right? Not because I don't believe that the Lord has given the rainbow originally as a promise to Noah as part of the, the Noahic covenant, the promise that he made to Noah— that he would never again yeah. uh, destroy the earth in that way. That's a good promise. And I, and that's what the rainbow um, represents for Christians and what it always has for so many years. Sure. But unfortunately, we live in a culture today that it carries on a very different meaning. In it. And so it is not something that I'm just going to, without context, slap a rainbow on my car. And yeah. Maybe that's sinful of me. Maybe that's something I need to, to work through. But like, I think you also have to be con- conscious of the context in which you live and, and things like that. One last thing I'll say about that then, just because I, I get you and we're all in agreement about this. The early Christians were very much misunderstood about what was going on oh, in yeah. their churches with love feasts. And they say, I've heard they're having orgies in their church service. And they were misunderstood, sometimes purposely misunderstood, but I believe just misunderstood genuinely too. Yeah. Um, they were and, accused of cannibalism. Yeah. 
right. because they were they were claiming to to be feasting on Christ and the right. Lord's Supper. Yeah, so uh, you, you have that, and, and it's all something to work through. Let me say one last yeah. thing about this chapter is um, this, this issue where he says, we currently have bios or physical life. This is something we talked about in the last one, mm-hmm. um, th- and that is running out. Mm-hmm. This physical life begins running out. One of the weirdest things I think about life as a whole, because as a young person, you feel like, I can't be hurt. I'm probably going to live forever. I mean, the rest of you seem to be aging, but I feel great. And uh, it's one. I think this is what's behind the phenomenon that we often talk about, how young men think they're invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and it's there. I mean, it's just such a curious feeling about life that oh, I see other guys that their back, you know, hurts them, but I'll lift this uh, really heavy thing by myself because probably that could never happen to me. Uh, this is the thing that uh, is there. Um, but he, he goes on to say, we are made like a statue and Christ wants to give us Zoe or spiritual life that will never run out. That as we become older, part of what happens in maturity is you begin to ask questions about what inner vitality is because you know you need it. <laughs> yeah. um, that outer vitality is a sort of a mirage that you can live with for a while. And um, this inner life, becomes so important. It's it's so important even when you're a young person, but we can live for quite a while off of the the vitality that God gives us in his common grace and his goodness. Um, what a weird world that we live in, that every hundred years, the entire human race turns over, basically, and fathers and, and fathers and mothers raise children who receive that vitality. I mean, again, what a, how weird is all of this, the way this all works? And then you tell your children, well, listen, you're, it's not always going to be that way. You're not always going to feel good. Something will go wrong sooner or later. You'll learn. And then we've all seen. They don't learn. None of us learn. We have to experience it. And then we go, you know, Dad, my back hurts. It's weird. It's like, yeah, I saw you and I told you. Don't try to carry all that stuff by yourself. Like, oh, I figured it will be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's part of what we go through. True. Do you remember the first time you felt like old person pain? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What happened? Um, Gateway Baptist Church. We were doing some work. They have a a really cool prayer garden. Um, I called it the secret garden because it's off of this interesting little room that has a fireplace. Um, Nobody was ever out there that I know. (laughs) But we were working out there for a service project one time, and uh, me and a few other guys and i'd always try to push myself when we were doing these service projects and so i'm moving all of these uh, paver stones and i mean i'm just i'm working it and i never the things that people tell you about bending your knees and i was like ah i never really paid much attention and i'm telling you all of a sudden i moved probably what 30 40th paver stone in my back right in the middle of my back <laughs> just went <laughs> yeah. and it was not you know uh, any pain I'd felt before, it was the, what you're talking about. It's like, oh, this is different. Yeah. I don't like this one bit. Yeah. So there's my story. What do you got? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it was like the first time I felt old person pain, but the moment when I was like, wow, I'm, I'm this, I'm getting older. I'm yeah. getting, I'm not old by any means, but you know, I'm 30 now, uh, was just a few years ago, uh, playing softball and it was the first game I'd played, I guess since the previous season, and first game, throwing in from the outfield, and after just a few throws, man, my arm felt like it was about to fall off. Yeah. And and that was when I started actually stretching before sure. <laughs> athletic things and stuff like that. I oh, realized, yeah. I, man, I used to go out and just pick up yep. softballs, baseballs, yep. just chuck them around as yep. far as I wanted all day, 
with zero consequences. Uh, but now it's like, no, no, uh, yeah, it's not the case anymore. Getting old. Let's tie it up on this chapter with this. Uh, he says, quote, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. What do you think he means by that statement, Denton? Uh, I think it, I think it speaks to to again the uh, the sort of what's taking place in this good infection, and this is I don't want to jump ahead, but this is going to lead us into sort of what he talks about in the next chapter, uh, and that is that unlike Christ, um, we are not begotten by God. You're not begotten of Him. We were made, but the beauty that He's already mentioned to us, He's already brought us into a few chapters ago, is that though we are created the way a sculptor creates a statue rather than being begotten. Um, though we were created, yet we are being we are becoming like Christ, who was begotten, and that we are additionally being uh, being adopted by God as His sons, so that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. Right. Created things right. now being changed, uh, being by because of this good infection, being made more and more and more into the image of Christ the only begotten. Um, That's amazing. It's amazing. And it's, it's, it's the only example like it in all the universe. mm -hmm. It's the only example like it. No other place where you see that, which is made become like a begotten to the thing that created it. If that makes sense, we are, we will never be begotten of God. Right. It's just not the case, but we can become and are becoming like the one who is begotten of God, the one who is God. Right. Uh, we are becoming like Christ right. uh, in this process and all of it happening via the Holy Spirit, applying redemption to us and sanctification and, and ultimately what will result in our glorification when we will have become from statues to living right. uh, beings. Right. One way I like to think of it is um, if you ask the question, well, how much life does God intend to put into us? Oh, my friend, all the life. Yeah. Um, and for the moment, the spiritual vitality, you know, we, we wait for the physical vitality that we will have with resurrected bodies, just as Christ mm-hmm. has a resurrected body for all eternity. Um, but for now, all of the spiritual vitality within us and a part of the Spirit's work in us is to say, you are his child. Yeah. That is a part of that vitality is the assurance. Yeah. And, and then... Uh, it, it, Okay, that's a confusing statement. All, what do you mean all the life? Oh, goodness. Um, God is not holding back. Are you? Uh, God is willing to give you all of the kingdom. What are, where are you on that? Are you busy building your own kingdom? Are you still investing in a fallen devil's kingdom who wants to destroy everything, to steal, kill, and destroy the work of the true Christ, the true ruler of this world? You, human, who were given this world by God, Yes, there have been problems, but who will then at the marriage of the the remarriage of heaven and earth, mm-hmm. who then he will give the life to the world that he has already put in you, Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, it's exciting, yeah. and this is exactly where the Bible says, "So be complete, be perfect, as the heavenly Father is perfect." You can have this complete life in you. Take it, receive it. Stop trusting in your sins, which are death. That is death. See it for what it is. Right. Receive his life and live in that. Walk in that. It's better. It is, it is better for you and everyone that you love that you would walk in it. Yeah. So. That's right. That's right. That leads, as I said, that kind of leads to the next, uh, next chapter that he, he takes us to. And that, this one's titled The Obstinate Toy Soldier. 
Uh, and here, here's a quote from the, the chapter to kind of get us into it. He says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Mm-hmm. We do not know how things could have been, but this is how they are. Right. This is an amazing... I mean, he's, he's getting at the gospel here mm-hmm. in a really clear and, and just on-the-nose kind of way. And that this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what God has done for us. That in Christ Jesus, he has sent the only son of God, the son of God, became man to enable men to become sons of God. Uh, It's this amazing reality for Christians that we are adopted by God. That we are becoming sons of God. That we are, even in fact now, uh, because for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation. That there is an already reality for us that we are adopted uh, by God as sons, uh, but there is coming a an ultimate fulfillment of that that we know and that we look forward to, that we long for. Um, but even now, the reality is true of us, uh, even if we don't see it, right. feel it. Right. Um, right. It is true. Yeah. For any who, when I'm talking about the newness of life, it's like, oh gosh, I don't even... The, the one time that I said yes to Christ, that, that excitement, I don't even know if there was anything to that. Well, I, I believe there certainly was, but I believe as you read his word, as you walk with him, as you spend time with other believers, he will continue to sh- convince you of the newness of that life. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, there is an old man and a new man. There, there is a dead side of you mm-hmm. uh, that, that you have to fight. Um, I've referenced it many times before, but again, I think this is why we were given the Lord of the Rings. We are all Smeagol and Gollum Mm -hmm. and that old man and new man inside of us saying, what if they're all tricking you? What if they're all just trying to use you? Mm -hmm. Ask the real questions there. That'll bear itself out. That's false. Yeah. There's more to more going on than, than just, than just what often people, you know, to say our philosophies have gotten so far. What if it's all just power dynamics? What if it's just everybody all the way to the bottom, people using people? It's not. Yeah, that's right. Your mother did not love you to use you. Right. There's somebody in your life that you could look at and go, nah, there's something going on there right. that I'm convinced that there's something more to this world than just power. And there's more something more to this world than just people using people and, and, and all of that. Yep. And it's worth fighting for. Yes. Sam Wise. There you go. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I agree. And the point he's getting at, the reason it's, he titles the, the section, the obstinate toy soldiers, he uses the example of little tin soldiers that, uh, that you know we might have that have been created, um, but what the the process of that's taking place within us, uh, that's taking place you know in the world as we see it, but is that we as this figurative um, tin soldier uh, are being changed? That we are are go- moving from that which we were, and as we know, that means those who were dead in sin, those right. who were were lifeless spiritually. Um, we are now having life brought back into us. There is a new man being created mm-hmm. in us. And the old man hates that. Right. All that the old man can see is the destruction of the old man yes. in the same way that a tin soldier being being changed to a real uh, living soldier, uh, the tin soldier and, the, and probably the other tin soldiers around him, he kind of uses the example, are only going to see the destruction of the tin yep. rather than the creation of new life. And that's the thing, and he, he talks about the the old man. He says the natural life, as he calls it. I'm calling it the old man, and, yeah, sure. but he calls it the natural life. And each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be uh, petted and admired, 
to take advantage of other lives, to exploit the whole universe. That's essentially how human beings are. Mm-hmm. That's how we live. That's how we operate. Left to uh, our natural left, selves. Left to our natural selves. That's exactly right. Um, and if we are all honest with ourselves about our sinful nature, mm-hmm. we can recognize this in ourselves. That there, you know, even, even many of the good things that human beings do in their natural state, they do it for the benefit of themselves. Yep. Now that doesn't mean that you can't see a picture of a of a godly kind of love, like you said, from a mother to a child. Yep. Um, I think that is a good example to use. And what we see in that is an example of God's common grace towards right. humanity that He has He has placed a hint of Himself even in that relationship yep. to where we can know that even an earthly, uh, natural mother, in an indescribable way, for a reason that no one can give an account for outside of the gospel, outside of uh, of God and his created order. No one could give an account for why a mother loves their child the way they do. Right. Right. But they do. Right. This is why in, in, you know, the, the realm of like, uh, of the pro-life movement and, and the discussion around abortion and things like that. It's why the abor- pro-abortion movement necessarily has to keep you from identifying this thing in your womb. If you're a woman, this thing in the woman's womb as their child, right? Because the moment that they recognize that is my child, the the God placed motherly instinct yep. is just as strong. <laughs> Protect, provide, is, nurture. That is exactly right. Right, it, and even be willing to self sacrifice yes. for this for this person that's yep. inside of me. That's why it's necessary to the pro abortion movement um, to to make sure that that is. N- Put to rest, right? To make sure that uh, yeah. that you are not allowed to see the ultrasound, sound, yeah. uh, see that this is in fact a human being in your womb, uh, and therefore it is your child. Because the moment that woman recognizes that, it's it's innate within us that that woman has a desire to love, care for, nurture, protect all of those things. Yeah. This child, even at the expense of themselves, mm-hmm. to where that has been the number one thing for the pro life movement, uh, as far as winning people over. If you can get a woman to see the ultrasound, see that baby in the womb right. and realize the truth that that is a baby and that is your baby as your child. Uh, most women are, are going to uh, choose not to abort. Uh, and if they do, it's going to gra- cause them great psychological harm because of what they know they're doing to their child. Yeah. Uh, and I think honestly, we're, we're getting off track here, but this is my fault. I do think honestly, the majority of women do, ultimately know that that is their child that they are destroying that they are killing i do think there is there are some who are deceived um but i think many of them um will feel the effects of what they've done later on down the road that it will lead to despair it will lead to um suffering and and anguish because of that decision to abort their child which points back to i i think that's true of each of us for a variety of sins in our life that we know what some sense of what could have been, what possibilities we destroyed and killed by choosing death at a moment when we could have chosen life. That's what guilt and shame lies in us and why it's so uh, overwhelming to our hearts Mm -hmm. that we know we have played a role in what is destruction and, uh, I mean, again, if the, if the devil's kingdom is stealing, killing, and destroying, we've worked for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with all of the 
weight of that fact. And um, that's why you can't just go, well, I will simply not, in my mind, pay attention to those facts and expect that I'll just feel fine about all that sooner or later. It's like, well, you won't. I mean, you cannot just, there is no mental trick. Mm -hmm. There is no mental judo to say, I just won't feel guilt and shame. No, you, it will show up in some other way. If you think you've tricked yourself out of it, it'll show up in some other way. Um, that is a proof of the fact. Yes. Death, spiritual death. Sin is spiritual death that will betray you, that is consistently betraying you. Your conscience inside of you is saying, that's not going to get you anywhere. But we've all damaged our conscience mm-hmm. in giving in to it. Um, and, and, and so this whole issue this, about what is this, this fallen natural life, as he calls it, this, this, the way he kind of encapsulated it says, especially it wants to be left to itself, mm-hmm. to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it, anything that might make it feel small, that that is something inside of you that, it, that your own heart does. Yep. And that the answer the Bible gives is, well... When you come to know Christ, keep on holding your own sinful, stony heart up to Christ, and little by little, he'll he'll resurrect that entire heart. That's right. You will be turned from uh, from a, a, a an obstinate toy soldier into a son of God. And, yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And I'll just read a quick quote from him. He says, um, "What then is the difference which he has made to the whole human mass?" He says, "It's just this." that the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from the temporary biological life into timeless spiritual life, has been done for us. Humanity is already saved, quote-unquote, in principle. He goes on to say, we have not... I'll just just read. uh, We individuals have to appropriate that salvation, but the really tough work, the bit we could not have done for ourselves, has been done for us. Yeah. We have not got to try to climb up into a spiritual life by our own efforts, it's already come down into the human race. Right. This is that beautiful, that good infection that we talked yep, about yep. earlier. And, and, you know, when I first, as I'm reading this, for me, it was like a little bit of a roller coaster. I was like, when he says, we individuals have to appropriate that salvation, I'm like, ooh, uh, I don't like that. Uh. But then he, he, he brought himself back out of that uh, and back into my good graces when he says that the tough work uh, but we couldn't do for ourselves has been done for us. Yeah. Uh, and so I was, I was thankful for that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Clyde. Um, but it is the, it is the case. It's not up to us to, to climb into spiritual life by our own efforts, because yep. guess what? By our own efforts, we will remain in the natural life. Yep. We will remain spiritually dead. Yep. Our own efforts are worthless and meaningless when it comes to us, uh, becoming a son of God for us moving from a natural life to a spiritual life. But praise be to God. It's not up to our own efforts. God has done it for us. Mm-hmm. He has accomplished all that is necessary to make it happen, and he is applying it to us by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's relieving, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to put it mildly, right. uh, for those of us who, who, who see that truth and believe it, uh, that it's not up to my own efforts. Yeah. Uh, I like this. This must be a quote after uh, what you have uh God's solution is this. The second person of the Trinity becomes a man to teach us how to become like God. If you want to get a hold of it, think of how much you would like to become a slug or a crab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. That's what, that's what it means that Christ became man. <laughs> that was pretty funny.
Yeah, I got a kick out of that. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, he chose a human life in which the killing of his own natural desires happened at every turn. Poverty, misunderstanding from his own family, betrayal by one of his intimate friends, being jeered at and manhandled by the police, execution by torture. But after he died, the God and the man rose again to new life. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, I only have one other quote, and I'll just see where you're at. Uh, the coming of Christ affects the whole of humanity because all humans are connected and because this new life is so different and so powerful. In a sense, humanity has already received... Let me start that one again. In a sense, humanity has already received the life of Christ, but individuals have yet to particularly receive him. Yeah, I think that speaks to what we've already talked about, what he's talked about, the good infection. Uh, that this yes. is something that is that is now begun to infect humanity by God's grace. The kingdom of God is on the move. The kingdom of God. That's right. Aslan is on the move, yeah. and and that's the the amazing part of it. You know, since I've already gone there, I think about the the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. That the the amazing thing is that uh, as Aslan is on the move, you begin to see the results of that, and that winter mm. is slowly fading away the snow yeah. was melting the river is no longer frozen yeah. Yeah. flowers are beginning to bloom again because life is being reintroduced because of the work of god right. um that is what is now taking place in the world um and we sometimes have a hard time seeing it don't we sure. yeah. we have a hard time seeing the the effects of the kingdom of god that that has come and that is now at work and is expanding because of the evil that we still see, yep. because of the sin that we still see, even in our own lives, even in ourselves. Yep. Um, but as Christians, we know that it is the case. We know that our God is on the move. We know that he is doing this work. We know yep. all of these things, and, and we can hold fast to them, yep. as in everything, because we look at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yep. And it gives us a great amount of hope uh, that one day we will go from the ten soldiers that we were and be complete and total perfect humanity that he has, right. he has designed us to be and is creating in us. Right. And that is a humanity that looks like Christ. I mean, and it's a strange statement, but with our own eyes, we've not yet seen a real human in a full sense. We are all broken. We know that. Yeah. And then we have these guesses of what it might be like to see a human built to their, not just potential, but built built out of what is broken about us. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It is something that is wonderful to think about and something that um, I think even in our world today, a, a lot of people have guesses at what a real uh, or a human at their full potential. There's various ways you could talk about this. Um, there's a fuller idea of it, though, here in the scriptures uh, because they know, well, well, you went Narnia, I'll go Narnia. There is deep magic from the foundation of the world, Mm -hmm. but there is deeper magic from before the foundation of the world. And that's some exciting stuff. Yeah. When Aslan says, don't recite the old uh, law to me, I was there when it was written, Uh, right? Or I don't know if it's law, but uh, at any rate. So you you, you say we have yet to see what uh, the peak or the actual, you know, true humanity looks like. Would you say, except in Christ? Because I haven't seen Jesus with my eyes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, this goes to, at first we tend to look at Jesus as um, a special case, and he is, but he is actually also normal. Yeah, Uh, he's fully human. Right, he is is what you 
are meant to be, meaning yeah. all of his life, all of his vitality. You were not meant to be the Christ, the the, the begotten Son of God right. who dies for the sins of the whole world, which is why I think that statement we dealt with 30 minutes ago is a little bit confusing. Right. You're not, you are meant to be fully alive. Right. And one day, by the grace of God, you will be. Right. So accept the life right now that he's planting in you and put it to the front of your desk to get more of that life every day. That's right. There is nothing more important, nothing. No matter where this message might find you, there's nothing more important than you getting that life in you because that life needs to go in you to go through you to be given out to this starving world. Goodness, if you don't see the evidence that this world is starving for what love really is, that's what needs to happen. You need that life in you, not for your own good, but for the good of others. That's right. That's right. Amen. I don't have any more to say about that chapter. Um. Yeah, what I want to do here, there's a chapter six called Two Notes, and it's similar to what we've already dealt with as far as these are questions that people might have had, and I just want to leave it to uh, anyone who is interested in this. We're coming towards the end of Mere Christianity, and so you'll be able to tell if this is a book you want to read yourself, and those two notes are certainly something that if you're interested in this whole discussion, check out those two notes. Uh, it'll Those two things, along with any other thoughts you've had about this, there's a lot to talk about in terms of real spiritual life, what what its purpose is presently, what all eternity will be like when we live spiritually forever in newness of life that we cannot lose. There is some excitement in there. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, he answers some, he kind of gets into some big questions. And um, and again, it's one of those chapters where it's like, yeah, I, I didn't know that people were asking this question, but, um, but I, I think what it ultimately leads me to do is, we get asked questions. You hear people think ask questions like, um, "Could God create a, a boulder so big he couldn't lift <laughs> yeah, it?" You sure. know this kinds of thing. And my response to that is like, "Quit being stupid." <laughs> yeah. Like, who who really cares about the answer to that question? And some do. I know they do. I'm sure. being a little bit facetious and uh, and critical. Um, but I can tell you this: what I am ultimately left with when I hear those kinds of big, difficult philosophical questions that people deal with. I return to the character of God yeah. and who God is and, and rely on that. The God is a good God. He is powerful. He is just. He's righteous, but he's also loving. He's kind. He's merciful. He's shown us his mercy and his kindness uh, toward us in Christ Jesus. Yeah. We can trust the character of God, even in those questions that we don't necessarily understand or have full answers to. C.S. Lewis gives good answers to them. Sure. Um, are they easy questions, though, even still? No. Um, but they're questions that we can comfortably hold the answers to with pretty loose hands so long as we are firmly holding on to the character of God and who he is as the scriptures have revealed him. And that kind of gives me hope and confidence and keeps me from getting overwhelmed with difficult questions um, that sometimes will come because there's plenty of difficult questions out there. I don't know if you know that Jackson. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you guys can check out uh, this chapter if you want. We are also chalking it up in the camp of, it's okay to skip some chapters, yes. uh, and this one might be one that you see fit to do so. Yeah. So, well, hey, this has been great. Uh, we covered four chapters ish here today, and that's that's pretty good for us. It's a record for us. Yeah, I think so. I don't think we've ever covered four uh, in a, a book like this before. So, uh, well, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you you enjoyed it as much as we enjoy recording these podcasts. That's always kind of my hope. Uh, but uh, even if you didn't, you know what? We're going to do it again. So no problem. (laughs) You're not going to stop us. Yeah, that's right. Well, this has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.